Chapter Nine of Transition. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Transition by Emma Frances Brooke. Chapter Nine. That was a handsome woman with Lucilla Dennison, said Sheridan to his companion as the vehicle rolled past them she is an old friend of my own returned lyttleton indeed i did not see you speak to her i was uncertain as to my reception said lyttleton is that so the tone was rather rallying not that not what you think returned lyttleton too emphatically to be reassuring but it is a unique story come into my rooms and hear it they turned from the main road and threaded some dull by-streets into a square with dusty trees and patches of green impounded like a strayed piece of country between bars of iron the near branches sparkled in the gaslight and in the darkness beyond some unforgotten remnant of natural melody was shaken out by these poor harpers from the forest leaving the square they came into a more frequented street where were a block of chambers before one of the outer doors littleton paused and this being opened the two mounted the stairs together to the fourth story here they exchanged the dim light for a bright well-furnished room and here by the fire lit even so early in the season sheridan sat down to hear littleton's story of the rector and his daughter he told it well with sympathy even with emotion what will he do with the tithe said sheridan sharply when he had finished not let it go back into the landlord's pockets i hope no he is a churchman through and through and considers church property sacred particularly the tithe i believe he will no more surrender it than he will use it for himself then what is the upshot he collects it as usual but every farthing goes for church or church schools or charitable purposes that's better how did his bishop take it i wonder oh his bishop sneered condescendingly he professed to fear lest the action might seem a movement of self-exaltation at the expense of the general church body the rector's reply was however given in such a spirit of sweetness and retiredness from self that in the end the bishop let mr kemble take his own way you see the rector is deeply respected by the dignitaries of the church and he could hardly be snubbed too severely for a desire to follow christ literally if the example caught on it would be awkward for some of our church magnates i suspect but now look here can't we work something out of this littleton's eyes laughed as he quietly fingered his beard mr kemble did not come at his ideas through our movement said he i know that but it helps to show that our movement has come out of everything else you are perfectly scandalous sheridan you think of nothing but seizing the opportunity sheridan smiled what else is there to seize said he littleton laughed again 
i grant our movement has come out of everything else the wind bloweth as it listeth that is so but there is nothing against our putting up a windmill or two to catch it sheridan you are shamelessly prosaic we are told that socialism is a dream let it be a dream then when i get a good dream i'm not satisfied until i've done something to cage it lyttleton turned and silently regarded his friend with amused affectionate eyes sheridan unconscious of his look was staring rather gravely into the fire the light played over his face which was always eminently expressive leslie had found in the man something unique he had strongly attached himself to him in a selective and enduring friendship one founded upon a profound compatibility at the bottom of two natures otherwise apparently dissimilar paul sheridan's history was of the kind which in the case of an ordinary man might have sunk him into a complete rut of the commonplace his birthplace was london a fact in itself indicative of an absence of romantic or striking background moreover he came of a family occupying a respectable but narrow position in the lower middle class he was born into a world which presented from the beginning a prosaic aspect there was no glitter or colour of any sort in the opening years of his life from any false idea in his estimate of his own position in the environment in which he found himself he was debarred the brilliant the unusual the picturesque were wanting the basis of things for him was prose again he was familiarized early with the idea that the means for his existence with all that such an existence might come to imply to himself were to be won by his own application and effort that is a lonely thought but it is one which has a fine effectiveness and no child of the nation should be debarred from acquiring it something of course paul owed to ancestry he came of good wholesome material and brought into the world with him unusual mental powers that he possessed a very deep imagination of a particularly masculine type no one probably suspected yet it was this hidden imaginativeness this wide-sided discriminating power of mental vision which differentiated him from his fellow-men and gave him that unique quality which was destined to bear fruit in his life both for himself and for others a great characteristic such as this bears others in its train and many unusual attributes both of heart and brain clustered round this one of his hidden imagination meanwhile the utmost thing was his prose although paul by his position missed the educational advantages common to a lad of the upper classes he had his opportunities and his early training led him to embrace them eagerly what education he could lay hold of he took from a child his mind ran into the business of acquiring knowledge and information and very early gave indications of its special tastes for from the age of thirteen onwards he found pleasure in collecting statistics and pasting or entering them into a book 
a fact was his delight he liked to know the bearings of a thing its present limits and powers of growth he liked to test and examine and he would watch from year to year how a thing developed and would measure it in figures all parts of life attracted him the manoeuvres of an army excited pleasurable mental feelings and he would copy a battlefield out of a newspaper with tin soldiers and chessmen on a table and perform the scientific part of the warfare over again in mimic evolutions with his toys science too he loved because it showed him how things were done and how they had come about but as he became older his particular intellectual quality showed itself in a passion for economics and history he had passed every examination and competed for and won whatever prizes were open to general competition and had earned enough money to go abroad and study for a time in germany before he was twenty-one but it was after that age that he began to make a mark as a student of and writer on economics meanwhile the business of earning his own living was always before him he went into the dull daily duties of routine work with the same effectiveness and energy that he put into his self-chosen occupations if any one remarked upon his equal devotion to small things as to great he looked surprised how am i to know that the small things may not turn out to be great he would reply with this passion for detail and strenuous habit of living straight into the moment it was to be expected that by the age of twenty-two sheridan should find himself in a good position he became confidential clerk in a first-rate business house with a rising salary and the prospect of a pension or partnership in the end just at this point however calamity overtook him it is possible that had it not been so sheridan might have fallen into mere successful routine and never have found the greater self which lay enshrined within that hidden and little suspected imaginative power and yet the imaginative power was always there and where there is gold life mines and probes until it is brought to the surface she struck her pick now where he was most sensitive he found himself under a charge of gross neglect amounting to dishonesty sheridan had no means of disproving his guilt or in the least accounting for what had occurred the real delinquent a clever scamp had so managed matters that the charge could neither be proved nor disproved against sheridan he was subjected to all the humiliation of an examination by his chiefs without coming off in it triumphantly having regard to his immense services he was not discharged indeed he was grudgingly acquitted but the eyes with which he was regarded became cold and changed the event shook sheridan in every part of his nature it was agony to his sensitiveness a quality which underlay his masculine strength in unusual power as it is sure to do in any highly gifted and well-developed creature he saw himself rejected condemned and misjudged in those very qualities which he was conscious were of particular worth to the persons on whose behalf he had exercised them sheridan was an intensely proud man proud in that 
silent strong unostentatious way which is better than humility a vain man would have resorted to pettish resignation of his post as a protest against the indignity of suspicion sheridan did nothing of the kind he argued to himself that such a step would be to surrender a part of his own position what had happened was due not to anything wrong in himself but to the stupidity of his chiefs who mistrusted the quality of a man who had served them he hated in a quite human unsaint-like manner the fellow-clerk who had laid the trap for him and despised from the bottom of his clever mind the idiocy of the employers who fell into it and misjudged him but that's not my concern said he if they are fools there is no need why i should be one too if this had not happened i should have gone on in this particular path and i'm not going to be pushed out of it now so he went on day by day just as if it had not happened so far went his will but to his sensitiveness it remained agony and under the hand of this suffering his imagination awoke and lifted him up this was a time of an all-devouring energy of work to sheridan he wrote lectured studied and he examined every possible phase of life that came before him and suddenly through the eyes of his own suffering he saw clearly imaginatively potently the suffering of his fellow-men it rolled up before him in an intensely vivid presentment that shook him to the heart and with a man too wholesomely occupied to be tempted to dwell on the emotional side of life this disturbance of the nature was genuine and profound and the precursor of lasting results he was not moved now to forget upon the morrow the experience cut deep into his heart and formed the starting point of a new departure out of the present emotional moment was born the idea which he was hereafter destined to follow with increasing zest and persistence the idea had two sides he saw himself in the first place as the avowed servant of humanity and he saw humanity in the second place as something capable of being effectively served humanity those broken disorganized degraded shreds of it which flitted across his path every day of his life and which he viewed now with the new eyes of his own suffering was pursued to his inner vision perpetually by the hopeful figure of redemption present to his view in the warped type was the might have been and close upon that smote into his mind the determined it shall be the poetry of sheridan's nature had been born in pain but it was of a high quality and bore no trace of emotional weakness he first accepted with firm compliance his own particular burden of bitterness and then threw it aside with the brief decision of one who perceived that the casual smart hardly signified in comparison with the daily breathing tragedy of broken wasted life ever present to his knowledge the simplicity of the issue to all this unusual emotion was 
characteristic of the man he merely registered a vow never to refuse any public duty great or small that might come in his way few have insight enough to perceive how far-reaching and strong is such a determination towards the singleness of duty it was a clue to a quiet persistence in his methods that was in after days to prove somewhat provoking to less balanced minds and was even to be the occasion of misunderstanding and false estimation something however from the outside world was destined to be added to sheridan's experience in this moment he came into contact with the socialistic idea then crude obscure and hardly to be calculated upon in the sum of agencies for half a century the stream of socialism had run underground it was just reissuing into the light of day sheridan met with some of its adherents studied it in the works of karl marx proudhon and other lesser but more modern exponents his quick mind leapt to the idea overhauled it appropriated and changed it it is not too much to say that sheridan's conversion brought about a new era in the history of socialism a fresh phase of it which lasting or not lasting in its particular form was fitted to the needs of the age which had brought it forth and was destined to be powerfully effective and influential within it meanwhile sheridan had dreed his weird by imperceptible degrees and by sheer persistence in duty he had regained his position in the estimation of his chiefs finally a complete answer to the charge laid against him was suddenly brought to light whereupon an ample apology promotion and compensation were offered him sheridan however had lately felt that his occupation in a house of business even one that paid trade union rates of wages to all its employés was too cramping for him it limited his opportunities hampered and curtailed his spirit he needed and sought a wider world in which to exercise his powers and freer occasions in which to pursue the now leading idea of his life he resigned his position therefore and entered into the precarious but much more influential life of a journalist such had been his existence for a couple of years before he met with littleton at the time of his encounter with his future friend he was a well-known writer not only in the newspapers but also in the leading reviews the peculiar turn of his political ideas rendering him invaluable to any editor anxious for the admixture of originality and glowing conviction amid the learned stately and less aggressive articles that make up the ordinary material the advent of littleton into sheridan's life was quickly followed by another pleasant event after a lecture on socialism at a public hall in london a young girl advanced from the audience towards him and holding out her hand with a mixture of timidity and fearless innocence in her bearing informed mr sheridan who had accepted the small fingers tendered to him in shy gravity 
that she wished to throw in her lot with him and his friends because she believed that every word he had said was true sheridan was touched pleased and embarrassed by the incident women moved a little outside his plane and he was troubled by a feeling of the strange and unaccustomed in dealing with them the girl who seemed extraordinarily young stood her ground with a patience and persistence that at least argued sincerity i am older than i look i intend if you will have me to be one of you said she quickly when she remarked his hesitation the girl was lucilla dennison and the incident which had taken place some two or three years ago marked her entrance upon the life of a socialist lucilla brought to the cause qualities of her own the movements of her mind were large single clear she was clever sheridan was apt to be a little impatient with mediocrity this being a quality he could not understand and soon became a useful lieutenant of the movement being regarded by the rest of the band as sheridan's particular convert while on her side she attached herself to him as her chosen guide sheridan always regarded himself as being in some measure responsible for lucilla but indeed there was amongst the little band of comrades an easiness and simplicity of intercourse born of coincidence of aim which made the duty light the aim was the diffusion of light and the acquirement of social knowledge but the scope of the movement widened and every day opened out some fresher possibility and some new field for effort meanwhile there was in the character of lucilla a region of reticence and reserved force which sheridan felt that he did not touch occasionally he speculated upon this element of resistance in a girl so slight and enthusiastic and so yielding to his lead in most things but the speculation never went further than an interested thought or two lucilla was his very good comrade and none could more reverently leave alone than could sheridan the circle of reticence and reserve in another which he so pre-eminently respected in himself littleton's friendship was a great gain he brought with him an element of culture as a university man of culture of a special quality in which sheridan's education thorough though it was in some respects was wanting leslie's occupation in london was that of a civil servant and this fact together with certain of his characteristics kept him a little in the background at a time when sheridan was stepping more and more forward into public life but on the whole the two men ran abreast in a generous give-and-take friendship both aimed more and more consciously at definitely throwing their ideas into administrative form the gradual realization of socialistic notions in legislation and in municipal control being the life task which sheridan with the full concurrence of littleton and others placed before himself littleton who was still smiling at the evidences of his friend's habitual alertness after opportunity stretched his hand towards the mantel-shelf for a pipe and lights he offered a box of cigarettes to sheridan who however shook his head and declined them 
lucilla dennison introduced me to miss kemble after the lecture said he and i saw at once she owed me a grudge i hadn't the faintest idea why was it because of the part about the church of course conceive the effect of your admonition on the daughter of a clergyman but she does not agree with her father she ought to have been glad well it appears she wasn't did she say anything no she looked it sheridan laughed softly i'm afraid she was very much offended with me indeed however i don't pretend to be a man to make favourable impressions upon women i don't know how to do it of course i wish i did except that a perfect manner argues a wasted youth miss kemble's manner can be very pronounced at times said lyttleton gravely and with recollection oh very however added sheridan i believe i can pardon anything to anybody the moment i understand it i believe you can by the way did you notice how pale lucilla dennison looked to-night yes i don't know what is coming over her said sheridan frowning and pulling his moustache no one can explain it if you cannot i assure you i cannot i haven't any direct clue sometimes i think she is disappointed with the movement possibly with me there are offences of course the claim of the community upon one's service leaves little time for self-culture but she should accept this yes but i question if she sees why the idea of self-perfection has to be dropped by any one whose social consciousness is enlarged the pursuit of self-culture is a very expensive and all-absorbing affair we have not the right or the time to undertake it as a prime object while the whole race is enslaved to hard conditions our bit of work is to ease and lessen the general slavery and degradation we can only do that by taking on ourselves some of the defects of servitude we lose ourselves to find ourselves i would suggest that we have no right to occupy ourselves with ourselves at all i have no time and no heart for this self-culture and as for lucilla i've offended her ignorantly no doubt said sheridan but if she liked me once she ought to go on liking me sheridan i don't suppose for one moment she has left off liking you what is it all about then sheridan again slowly passed his hand it was a lithe and rather graceful hand over and over his moustache unless indeed is it true that she has formed an acquaintance with achille d'auverne i don't know i can hardly fancy it you see personally i detest d'auverne i'm not sure that i detest any one but i don't agree with d'auverne the man's a patent absurdity what does lucilla want to foregather with him for you and he are on a different tack altogether well i am then and i'd rather be i don't understand why he should have an attraction for lucilla but it's astounding what a fascination the red cap has for a woman they will run at the heels of any scamp who takes liberty as his view halloo that is because they haven't got hold of the right thing i can understand their running after liberty but lucilla ought to know better d'auverney is no sort of a chap d'auverney is hot for violent revolution and you are against it the former is the more picturesque 
lucilla isn't that sort i'm against violent revolution because it defeats its own ends of course your genius sheridan lies in your instinct after the trend of events sheridan laughed the most rigid conservative has that too only somnambulistically he finds himself moved on by the sheer impetus of events to the position of last century's advanced thinker i have no doubt that tom paine's idea of old age pensions will be a future conservative electioneering cry and that a conservative government will bring in the bill i had an idea a general sort of idea about these things which i believe would work up well into a lecture said littleton we shall be wanting one soon and you might as well take it what is the title will it work up into a tract sheridan you must know that this is an opera in words there are the orchestra and overture the dramatis personae and the story in the songs i'm afraid i don't see a tract in it then but fire away littleton had it appeared occupied some of his spare moments lately in contemplating the evidences of transition in the present phase of society and in curiously speculating upon the elements that went to make up this whole effect of a social environment in the uneasy condition of solution of change into something else the spirit of the age was he found characterized by movement by excessive movement as distinguished from periods of comparative stagnation and was manifested in a variety of activities which often apparently contradictory and being each one of them solvents yet conveyed onward through this period of transition some one dominant note which in his opinion was to be an essential element in the next more established phase the idea had sprung into his mind upon his meeting with so living a survival of the oxford movement in honora's father a survival which as distinguished from mere persistence had accommodated itself in his spirit to the modern call and the modern need littleton took therefore as his point of departure the oxford movement in the earlier decades of the century and coupling with it the contemporaneous appearances of chartism of carlyleism of christian socialism accepted them as manifestations of the early zeitgeist conveying a note of abnegation of the individual self rather than the realization of the social self expectans dominum was he took it the spirit of mediaeval revivalism at oxford and though carlyle's ideal differed and was wider and that of chartism and christian socialism was so again yet in all of them was a similarity for in each a stern and splendid inspiration was limited by the individualistic tendency to a dogma a tyranny a program an attitude of personal benevolence such spirits as matthew arnold and clough he took next as forming a century influence which from particular characteristics he would name la maladie du siècle in them the dominant peculiarity was regret the mourning of great souls destined to officiate at the sacrifice of a past that was beloved and scarcely able to welcome the advent of a future whose strangeness and newness appeared cold and repugnant yet from them had passed out the lasting note of regard to prove truth as the only certain criterion a note to be taken up in splendour 
by the modern scientific spirit with clifford as a fine exponent and spinoza as a sort of intellectual ancestor after this came in his opinion the pagan spirit so eminently a solvent as revived in our era said he this is anything but festive it is sheer despair done into the best english by pater and swinburne side by side comes the aesthetic feeling a fastidious fuss about exquisite detail then comes the revolt in hope morris you know splendid old morris then all mine and all thine shall be ours illustrated by walter crane brotherhood and haymaking lastly we have constructive socialism enthusiasm done into dry work finally realism the crusade against shams blake ibsen zola maupassant turgenev etc etc all the eminent unrespectables and to cap all we have pseudo-realism the affectation of truth littleton threw himself back in his chair stretched out his feet to the fire and looked at his friend with a challenging smile is that all asked sheridan not all but all i feel inclined to mention for the present i've skipped ever so much there's not any more just now not for the present i'm rather glad of that and this is the overture yes but i ought to have put constructive socialism last i ought to have ended in the realization of the social self to which the whole leads up well it's a very handsome gala moffrey and i suppose wagner would do it into music i should like to hear the century orchestra but now get on i'm quite ready for the dramatis personae oh didn't i bring them in at the beginning not at all i tell you what littleton having listened so far i'm not going to be put off with the overture i want the songs the general stage behaviour the stage behaviour that is as it may be by no means i'm sure there's something feminine at the back of all this there's a she in it somewhere there always is i want you to trot out that interesting creature the sentry woman you can't expect me to give her up leslie drew his feet back leaned forward in his chair and placed his fingers together with a quick movement a dark flush came into his face and he began to speak with cutting bitterness she the zeitgeist makes her i suppose out of the weaker harder side of everything you get her from the wrong side of arnold conceited scornful she takes up science in a glib surface way and thinks she has the final word on her tongue's tip she plays with the pagan spirit delicately of course and without coarseness or offence she assumes the aesthete and thinks fastidiousness a sign of elevation in her pseudo-realism she affects the truth and in her affectation of it shows herself a noodle sheridan received this speech in silence but on his lips hovered a smile compounded of amusement and kindliness after the pause had lasted a few minutes he spoke in a soft and even tender tone i very shrewdly suspect that she has a fine tall figure and a handsome face with well-coloured cheeks and good eyes and eyebrows littleton i'm afraid you admire miss kemble very much indeed littleton frowned into the fire well 
i must be off said sheridan i meant to have gone home early to work half the night over the leaflet against leasehold enfranchisement the subject is coming on in the house directly and we ought to be beforehand with our information oh damn the leaflet it won't make any difference on the contrary it is very good business that leaflet has got to be ready for the press to-morrow begone then said lyttleton i'm in an ill mood to-night then i'd better be off of course no sooner however had the door closed behind him than he opened it again he came back and sat down on the corner of the table lyttleton said he without preliminary why not try and induce her to come again obviously there is lucilla dennison's influence to count on lyttleton stood on the hearth both hands in his pockets and his eyes fixed on the carpet there is a great deal in making up one's own mind added sheridan with his warm kind smile and then he got off the table nodded good-night and vanished End of chapter nine